Amen. It is good to see all of you again, and uh, so thankful for the opportunity to be here at Christ Prez, and uh, just, it's good to see smiling faces. I don't get that privilege very, I'm just kidding. (laughs) When I get up in the pulpit, they're like, here we go again. (laughs) So, no, it is good to be here. Glad that we were able to work this out for for Dave, and um, I can empathize with him as you're coming off time away. And when you have to preach that Sunday, coming back, it's almost like you feel that cloud, you know, that weight. And so we, we've been in talks about this and said, well, why don't you come and share something that, that's already been done at Christ Prez so that it would be a little bit easier for you and I would be happy to come over. I'm actually in the midst right now of a pulpit sabbatical at our church. So uh, we were able to work it out to where um, Matt's able to get a break by Dave going there. Dave was able to preach something, and then I'm able to come here. It's just been great. What a privilege to be here, and um, looking forward to being able to uh, partake in the Lord's table with you. And uh, just, uh, just know that you are loved and your church is prayed for. And uh, we're just so grateful to be able to partner with you as we seek to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what a privilege to be here. I cannot echo that enough. Matthew chapter 20 is where we will be, um, as your order of service will show you. And uh, in just a moment, we will read that text together. And it is a text that has been read oftentimes, and I believe sometimes it's greatly misunderstood. A lot of things and details are pulled out of this parable from Jesus that I don't believe were, was at the heart of the writer of Matthew, who is serving as a theological biographer, um, as he is giving us this um, a look into the intimate details that um, Jesus had with his disciples and also interactions with the crowd and the religious leaders of the day. So now we are nearing closer to Jerusalem um, in our context. Jesus has already told three times that he must go to Jerusalem. And he's told his disciples that. And he has reasons for going there. He's going to be led as a sheep being led to the slaughter. And so they are making their way to Jerusalem. And here um, Jesus has had interaction at different times with the religious leaders. He's had just a very interesting um, interaction with the religious leader, the rich, rich young ruler. And um, you know that story very well. I won't um, go into too much detail with that. But it brought on this question by the apostles. Now, we don't know if it was by all the apostles that were wondering this or if it was just Peter himself. But we do know that oftentimes Peter was a spokesman for the disciples. And so he comes and he's asking this question that came out of this interaction with the rich young ruler, the rich, um, the rich man. Because Jesus says, sell all that you have, give it to the poor. He was confronting his idolatry. And, um, and sadly, we know the story says that he went away very sorrowful because he had great riches. Jesus had made a promise to him that treasures in heaven were promised to those who were citizens of the kingdom. Those who would forsake all here would inherit greater treasures in heaven, in the new heaven and the new earth. That led um, Peter to start thinking, or the apostles to start thinking. So I'm going to read to you a few verses in chapter 19 that I believe really do set the table well for us as we come into chapter 20. It says in verse 27 that then Peter said in reply, in reply to what? To what he had just heard from the rich, in this interaction with the rich young ruler. See, we have left everything and followed you. 
What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left their houses or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. This text will um, be a great segue into our time today because Jesus gladly offers assurance to his disciples that the gracious blessings and rewards which are given will be abundant and they will be just and everlasting because it is impossible for us, it was impossible for the apostles, it is impossible for us as the church to give up more than God gives back to us. These promises are true. So before we go any further today, perhaps you are an unbeliever. Perhaps you do not profess Christ. Will you hear these words today? In spite of what you may be feeling at times, even if your standard of living is comparatively more than most, you are living in a state of loss. Without Christ, your rewards are temporary and will one day be depleted. So let's translate that and now look at that from the believer's perspective. For the believer today, I need you to hear this. In spite of what you may be feeling at times, you are better better off than unbelievers. Even when your standard of living here on this earth may seem comparatively less than theirs. But hear this, your rewards are only growing And they have no expiration date. And so this assurance that is given to the disciples, specifically for the twelve, but then it says, and to everyone, that includes us. That we are given brothers and sisters, and there will be land that will be given a hundredfold to us. We recognize and live out the reality of the siblings even right now, don't we? Because we have siblings spread all across the world. They are not bound simply by blood, but we are now bound by the blood of Jesus and by his, our greater elder brother through this precious gift that the Father has bestowed upon us. But in the last verse of chapter 19, Jesus gives this phrase that people here and even those who aren't believers or maybe not acquainted with the church, they have heard this phrase before. Verse 30 says, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. This was a, a, a proverb of the day by the rabbis. Jesus is now bringing it into his own teaching for his disciples. And he is going to expound on this even more now into our text Proverbs, you've heard, I mean, there's the book of Proverbs that contains Proverbs inside of it for us. Some by kings, some by those who are well acquainted with the work of God in the Old Testament. And they're they're wise sayings or sayings of the wise. 
Here we are hearing a saying from the wise, the all-wise one, the omniscient one from Jesus. This creates a need in us just by this phrase and created a need for the disciples to understand what exactly was Jesus tying this to. And so Jesus is going to go on here and for the next 16 verses, he's going to be telling a parable. Parables were commonly used in Jesus' ministry, commonly used even by the rabbis of the day. But Jesus was a master storyteller. Jesus knew how to apply, and it would, it would reveal to those who had ears, but it would also confuse those who were living in rebellion to what God was saying through his prophets and through his teachers. So as an introductory thesis today, we're going to make it simple, okay? But we're going to have to expound on this and allow the words of Jesus to really marinate in our, in our minds and in our hearts. So here's our introductory thesis. Because Jesus is about to really open and crack the door a little bit more for us to understand a little bit more about the kingdom of heaven. So here's our introductory thesis. In the kingdom of heaven, the first will be last and the last will be first. That is going to be our, this is going to be the expounding of that. So let's look in Matthew chapter 20 together and we're going to read the first 16 verses. We'll expound on a few verses after that as we go on. But let's begin reading in verse 1. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day they said to him because no one has hired us he said to them you go into the vineyard too and when the evening came the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman call the laborers and pay them their wages beginning with the last that sound familiar up to the first and when those hired about the 11th hour came each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first, they thought, they thought that they would receive more. Makes sense, right? But each of them had received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat? But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? 
Or do you begrudge my generosity? And then the parable ends. And Jesus now sandwiches all this together once again with the proverb. So the last will be first. And the first last. And this is God's word. A typical work day in Jewish customs was a 12-hour day. Divided up into four three-hour blocks, beginning at 6 a.m. in the morning. How many of you go to work at 6 a.m. in the morning? A few of you, okay. 6 a.m. in the morning, ending at 6 p.m. Now, we're accustomed to five work days a week, okay? Eight hours in a work day. Some of us may work four tens. Some work three twelves. But here, they were working 12-hour days, and they agreed to work a full day for a denarius, which was commonly the amount that you would earn for a full day's wage. It was a typical wage for laborers and soldiers. And so here we see that the master of the house has need. Harvest time has come, and he needs to harvest the vineyard. So he calls and goes into the marketplace. Now, we don't know how close the marketplace was from his property, but he goes there, and it was, and it was of that day, custom of that day, that if you were without work, you would go there, and then people would pick you up, and they would, and they would carry you, and you would be able to earn for your family to provide for them. And so this is what this master does, and he goes, and sure enough, there were people that were waiting. There were men that were waiting to be able to go work. And so he says, come and work, and after a while, after negotiation, I guess, but with talking, he, they came to the conclusion that a denarius would be um, a just payment for the work to be accomplished for the vineyard that day. Well, we don't know. Jesus doesn't really expound on it too much, but for some reason, the master has to go back, um, back at 9 o'clock, three hours later, and he, and he recruits more workers. And... He says, whatever, here he doesn't talk about the denarius. He says, whatever I give to you will be just. So they go off. And then it says at the sixth hour, which was 12 o'clock, he comes back and he does the same thing at three o'clock, at the ninth hour. And this is where the story um, takes a turn for Jewish listeners. Then it says that the master comes back at five o'clock. With only one hour left in the work day. He comes back and he gives this question of why they're standing there idle. And they say, well, nobody has hired us. So basically, these, they were sitting there with basically nothing to lose because they, have been, um, because they hadn't been hired. So they would stay. I don't know if they were, you know, playing cards. I don't know what they were doing. But they were sitting there waiting. And the master comes and asks him and says, nobody's hired. He said, you go out into the field. And you go work. Well, anything would be better than nothing. So they go out into the field. Now, mind you, for one hour. Now, we don't know how far the master was from the marketplace. So by the time they traveled, really, how long could they, what could they actually accomplish in one hour? And they go. And at the end here, we see that the foreman is now appointed to go and, make, and pay up. How many of you like payday? You all right? So you, you've worked the whole week, and man, payday is great. Well, they were getting paid every day. This was a law that had been put in place because there weren't 
all the masters weren't generous and they weren't noble. Oftentimes, families would be taken advantage of. So a law had been put in place that at the end of the day, you pay. Because it would not be good. I mean, a family could be in ruins for working days upon days and not receiving only for a corrupt master to say, I've decided you didn't do good enough work, I'm not paying you. So a law had been put in place that they would be paid. So at the end of the day, the foreman has the money. And he says, now listen, though, I want you to start with the ones that came in last. Remember, the five o'clock workers, the one hour, not even an hour. I want you to start with them. And I want you to give them a full day's wage. Can we stop there for a moment? I want you to listen to that for a moment. The master said, I want you to pay the ones who didn't work, who couldn't work a full day. I want you to pay them as if they had worked a full day. So he does that. Well, those who had been there from 6 a.m., in the heat of the day, the scorching heat, the burden, they called it the burden of the day. Now, they're sitting there, and they saw what they got. They're like, we about to get paid. And then it comes around to them, and everybody got paid, and they went. Where's the rest of it? They got paid for a full day. And now, rather than being thankful for being paid for what was agreed upon, it says that they were begrudging, that they began to grumble. The, the Greek word is automatopoetic. It, it's, it, because the word, it, it actually sounds like, I mean, they were kind of like just very angry. And they confronted the master about it. And said, how is it that you're going to pay them the exact same thing when we did all the work? How are you, how are you going to do this? How can you justify this master in your own mind and think that this is just? And the master says, did we not agree on a wage? So is your wage not just to you? And doesn't it just make sense that I can do with what's mine, how I see fit. And that's the parable. He says, go. Be thankful for what you receive. Now, there's five things that I, I just want to kind of highlight for us, but it's really, it's kind of the main focus, but, we're gonna, but in our conclusion, we're probably going to spend a little bit more time there. Um, just five things that just we can pull from it. A lot of times we can fall into a trap in parables that we try to look under every stone, you know, and we try to, you know, we try to find all these creative things. But these are things that are, that are just about the character of God and also about, about our character, if we're honest. Number one, we see here that the master sovereignly comes, calls, and sends into the vineyard. Verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who went out early in the morning to hire the laborers of his vineyard. The second part of verse 2 says, He sent them into the vineyard. Verse 3 says, And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Verse 4, it says, And to them he said, Go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. 
The end part of chapter, or verse 5. Go out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. And he did the same. And then in verse 6, and about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here? He had conversation, dialogue with them. In verse 7, he said this to them. Because, they said, because no one has hired us. And he said, now you go. He came, he called, and he sent. The master did that. And he did that on his authority because it's his vineyard. He had the right to do it. Number two, let's learn something about the workers. The workers that work in his vineyard submit to the terms that were set by the master. The first part of chapter, or verse 2. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, so they went, according to verse 5. Number three, we go back to the master. The master graciously makes and keeps his promise to all the workers. Verse 8, and when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Verse 10, second part, each of them also received a denarius. And he told them, take what belongs to you and go. He graciously made a promise and he kept his promise to all the workers. Number four, let's go back to our workers. Workers struggled to appreciate the generosity of the master. In verse 10, and now when those hired first came, they thought, they thought to themselves that they would receive more, but each of them received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master, like biting, backbiting of the house and saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. One more. Let's go back to the master. The master reminds the workers that the terms he set were both just, generous, and sovereign. 13 through 15. But he, being the master, replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. And honestly, can we pause there for a moment? One of the most real and sobering verses when, we're, when we are looking at sovereignty, how it's in the scriptures, verse 15, this question is asked by the master. And I, I, we probably would do well to ponder on it often. He asks, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? 
So the master sovereignly comes and he calls and he sends into the vineyard. The workers submit to the terms set by the master. The master graciously keeps, makes and keeps his promises to all the workers. But the workers struggle to appreciate the generosity of the master. And the master reminds the workers that the terms he set are just, generous, and his to make. They're sovereign. And that brings us to our proverb once again. Are you still with me? Amen. So the last will be first and the first last. Remember our introductory thesis? In the kingdom of heaven, the first will be last and the last will be first. But can we wrestle with a question for a moment are you willing to wrestle with me with this question not wrestle me wrestle with the question okay the question is who is first and who are the ones that are last you see in that context in this mixed audience that is hearing this, the Jews would have considered themselves first versus the Gentiles. But if we go even deeper, the religious leaders would have considered themselves first versus the common Jewish people. But even these crowds that would gather and would consider themselves to be followers of Jesus, they would have considered themselves first versus the crowds. Remember in John 6 when Jesus is teaching and after this great miracle of feeding thousands, and then when they come back, their bellies are gnawing and hungry again, and Jesus says, no fish and chips today, just me. And it says that many of them, majority, such a powerful word, that word many, says that they left, they departed from him never to follow him again. But there were many that stayed. So wouldn't you think here that these followers that stayed would consider themselves first in comparison to the crowds? But let's go even deeper. The disciples. We've already seen several times that the disciples struggled with, with trying to gain advantage to be the closest to Jesus. So surely they're listening to this, especially in light of the question that Peter has asked, hey, what's in it for us? And then he comes back with this, with this proverb and then this parable and then puts that proverb back on the end of it. Surely the disciples would have considered themselves first amongst the other followers. Maybe even first as individuals over the other, one of the other 12. In our context, if we would be honest... We've seen at times that a certain race may consider themselves first. Or a certain social class may consider themselves first. Or a certain political party may consider themselves first. Or a certain upbringing may consider themselves first. A certain denomination may 
make themselves to believe they're qualified to consider themselves first or perhaps just your religious pedigree for how you have grown up in the church life. But the question still stands, who is first? In the midst of it, think about this, in the midst of billions of professing believers in this world and across generations that have already passed all the way up to the living, billions, generation now and generation past, who's first? Who's going to be first? I believe that Jesus is staying intact with his kingdom parables and his teachings. Here, I believe with all my heart, if we were to conclude, what does it mean that the first will be last and the last will be first? And how do we determine who is first and who is last? Hear me today. If you make a habit of writing things down, I would encourage you to write this down. Every citizen in the kingdom of heaven should be last, but will be made first. Not because of their labor, but because of their master. So the meaning of the proverb in light of the parable is the first will receive what the last will. And the last will receive what the first will. Therefore, there are no longer first and last. There's not a front of the line. There's not a back of the line. There's not a high rank. There's not a low rank. There's not rich. There's not poor. There's not powerful. There's not vulnerable. There's not most deserving and least deserving but only recipients of God's amazing grace. So I need you to stick with me here. Because now we have to ask ourselves, how does that happen? How does it happen? How can the first be last and the last first and there's no one that rises to the top and there's no one that stays at the bottom? How is there not a front of the line and therefore a back of the line? How does this work? I think we need to ask ourselves some more questions. See, I love the fact that Jesus asked a lot of questions. I found myself as I'm getting older, I mean I'm getting old y'all. I mean, I'm knocking on 40. <laughs> I know people in my church say, I got socks older than you, all right? I says, that just means you're really old, okay? But I've learned. <laughs> but I have learned that it is really good to just ask questions. Um. A pastor friend of mine was entertaining a uh, missionary from China. And uh, this has nothing to do with the sermon. I don't know why I'm telling you this, okay? Anyway, can we just visit for a moment? And um, the, the missionary was about to get on, back on the airplane. 
And before he got on the plane, he says, so, man, what would you think about the States? He had never been before. And he said, what would you think? And, you know, with broken English, he said, he said, American's very different. And he said, what do you mean? He said, too much talky-talky. <laughs> and he went on to say, Americans seem to make a lot of statements, but don't ask very many questions. Can we ask some questions? I want you to think about this and answer this. In light of our text today, remember what the gripe was of the 6 a.m. workers? We bore the burden of the day and we worked in the scorching heat. So I have a question for you today in light of the kingdom of heaven. Has anyone really worked a full day in the heat for the master? This being this, this life of ours. Can, has anyone ever been able to say from the very beginning all the way to the end, yes sir, no sir, on time, every time, hit the mark, hit the goal. Has, has anyone done that? Did any of the Old Testament patriarchs or the judges or the kings or the prophets? How about the apostles? How about any of the bishops of church history? How about the reformers that are so revered? How about our theologians of the faith or pastors or teachers of today? How about grandmammy or grandpappy? Your mom or your dad? Have any of them really worked the entire day in the heat, bearing the burden to the standard that the master keeps? Can we personalize it? Enough about others. Have you ever worked a full day in the heat for the master? I'm going to quote one of my favorite theologians here. A close friend of mine. About six, seven weeks ago, I was about to preach this message at our church. And, and Chad, you were in the group chat, and we, we were just going back and forth with some stuff. And, and I just threw out that question. Has anyone really worked a full day in the heat for the master? And then put the, the text, the reference in there. I'm thankful for friends that go and read it and don't just give their opinion. <laughs> they went and read the text. And then back responding came this Thought-provoking, convicting, powerful statement. No. All caps, exclamation point. But it doesn't end there. I've never, ever worked a full day for the master. I've worked for myself, 
for a full day. Many days, months, years, even under the guise of serving God. But no, exclamation point, all caps, I have never, ever worked a full day for the master. Dave Osborne. And there lies the sting. We found the sting in this tale, as Sinclair Ferguson would say. We find our dilemma in the parable. See, Matthew cites a conversation right after this. In verse 17, it says, And Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He took twelve his 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will raise on the third day. But let's go back to the original question. Has anyone really worked a full day in the heat for the master? That was the original question. What was the answer when we ask ourselves that? No. But you want to know why we're assembled here today? The question is... Has anyone really worked a full day in the heat for the master? And the reason we can sing amazing grace and we can sing praises and the reason we can partake in the table is because guess what? The answer is yes. There has been one who has come and worked a full day in the heat for the master. And his name is Jesus and I want you to get this today. Because unlike in the story, what was the reaction? What was the reaction at the end of the day when the last hour workers got the full day's wage? What was the reaction by the 6 a.m. workers? Grudging, angry, wrong. This is unjust. This isn't fair. But Jesus, he rejoices when the master gives the full day's wage to the ones who come in in the last hour. You see, unlike the unhired in the parable, Jesus does not grumble at the master of the house, but he celebrates with those who have received it, that which he only deserves. How does Paul say it? By this adoption, we are joint heirs with Christ. Only in the perfect life and death of Jesus Christ can we rest in this life for all eternity. And only through Jesus can we imperfectly go into the vineyard at the last hour. And receive the promise. You see, that's the gospel. That's the story of redemption. 
You see, if we're not careful, we identify ourselves more with the ones that started at 6 a.m. And the truth of the matter is, we're the ones that have been wandering in the marketplace all day until the master comes and says, what are you doing? Go. Go into the vineyard. And you know what? Remember what I asked you? What possibly could be accomplished for the master in the last hour? What possibly could be accomplished? What possibly could we have done to deserve this gift? The answer is nothing. It has to be grace. And it has to be sovereign. And it has to be from him. He calls, he comes, he calls, and he sends. This is the good news. The good news of the righteous and holy creator God of this universe who created every single one of us and everyone that has gone before us. He created us with value and purpose, but as we confessed earlier, rather than delighting in that love, we chose to try to be our own authority and we rebelled against that sweet, precious communion. And because of that, Romans says that sin entered this world and there has been a dilemma that has been attached to humankind and that is how can sinful, depraved human beings be right with a holy judgment God, how can we receive the full day's wage when we don't deserve it? And that's why Jesus came. And that's what Jesus keeps pointing to. That's why in John 8, he said, you Pharisees, you think that you know the scriptures and you seek it out that you may have life. He says, but you have missed it. It is all about me. And Jesus came and he lived that life that we couldn't live. And he died the death that we all deserve to die. And God vindicated him by accepting that atonement and raised him on the third day. And he has promised that one day he will return and establish his, reestablish, consummate this kingdom here on this earth. And he is going to, it's going to be better than it ever was before because we are going to be with the one who saved us by his grace. So let me ask you this. If you were to stay Stand before a righteous and holy God, the God of the Bible, and he were to ask you this, on what grounds should you be granted entry into the new heaven and the new earth? What would you say? If you answer that in the first person, you have immediately gotten it wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am that, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person. Because he. There's a clip that's going around on YouTube. How many of you have ever heard of Alistair Begg? And I am not Scottish. I speak hick. <laughs> and I can't do it justice. But on that clip, he begins to describe a man at one moment cussing out Jesus with his friend. He had never been to a Bible study, he never got baptized. 
He didn't know a thing about church membership, and yet he made it. How did he make it? That YouTube clip goes on with his eloquence, and he gives a satire or a parody-like account concerning the thief's approach to the gates of heaven. I believe Dave shared this with you before. Please indulge me for a moment. The angel comes up and says, what are you doing here? And to which the thief replies, I don't know. The angel says, what do you mean you don't know? He said, the thief says, I don't know. He says, excuse me, let me go get my supervisor. The angel comes back with the supervisor. Now the supervisor angel says, well, what are you doing here? He said, I, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told your Conrad. I, I don't know. He said, well, let me ask you a couple of questions. Maybe we can get... Something rolling here. Maybe we can get some clarity on this. First of all, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The thief says, I've never heard of it a day in my life. Supervisor Angel says, well, what about Scripture? What about your doctrine on Scripture? Do you hold that, to it that the Bible is the infallible, the inerrant Word of God? Do you, I mean, do you, do, you, do you hold to that? And just blank stares come from the thief. And in frustration, the supervisor says... Well, I, well, then what basis are you here? To which that thief said, because the man on the middle cross said I could come. And you need to understand that's the only answer. That's the only answer for all of us. And tying that back into our parable today, you need to understand that at the day when the wage is given out, it will not be because you think that you worked in the vineyard in the heat of the day and you did it every right. No, you know what we're doing? We're dropping grapes. We're squashing grapes. We're arguing and bickering with the workers. We're not, we're not doing it right. We're struggling. Now, am I saying that we're not supposed to strive to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind? Sure we should. We should want and desire all of that. But I'm telling you right now, on the day when you meet the master and it's payday, it won't be because of your measly half hour, hour in the vineyard. It will be because he is a gracious master. He is a gracious king. So unbeliever, I need you to hear the gospel today before we come to the table. Hear the message of the gospel. Your wage has already been earned and the master invites you to come into the vineyard at the end of the day. And believer, you need to keep preaching the gospel to yourself all day and every day. Otherwise, you will find yourself beginning to trust in yourself. You'll begin to trust in your experiences, and which is part of our fallenness as humans. Keep your eyes fixed on the finished work of Christ and rejoice with him as more come to the vineyard in the last hour. To close, may I cite a phrase from one of the great hymns that we love to sing? Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just 
is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And the people of God says, amen. May we pray together, Father. Thank you for your word. Lord, it is quick and it is powerful. We thank you for Matthew and, Lord, for the account that he gives. Lord, under your inspiration, Lord, we thank you for how we can look today and we can see how Jesus paid it all. And all to him we owe. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.